Merry Christmas, OCC family and friends. Y'all are super godly because y'all are here on the day after Christmas. What's going on to the equally as godly watchers online? <laughs> we just decided to stay in their Christmas PJs. So glad to be with you all today. It is it's fun. It's a great time of year, and it's a great time to remember uh, just the beauty of the story of Christmas that I hope to encourage you with this day. So I've had a little bit of time because we've finished up our women's Bible study series. If you don't know, we do that twice a month here. Um, and so when that finishes, I usually try to read something that is just uh, a change of pace, right? So it's good to read novels and things that are not necessarily a Christian work because you get to see like how people live and think. And so it's okay. You are safe. You can read something um, that is not a Christian living how to make your life better book. And so I'm reading a novel right now. Actually, it's a memoir by a pretty well-known actor. I'm not going to say the name. I don't need to plug the book. He fine without my plug. So, um, but you'll probably figure it out if you are keeping up with what's on the bestsellers list. But anyway, this actor is kind of giving us a sneak peek into his life and his childhood. And so it's fascinating because his career and all the things he's achieved would be considered like the envy of many people. Extremely successful, family, money, awards, kind of in a place where he can write his own check, you know, in this world. And gets to do whatever he wants, has a lot of freedom, seems to have accomplished all of life's greatest goals. And so he is writing this book, and what he says in the very first chapter is that he has really spent his entire life crafting this image, achieving these goals so that he could hide from the world what was really going on inside his soul. And I think it's interesting because when we come to church and we try to encourage people, we're always like, you know, this life is more than money and achievements and it's more than success, it's more than careers, more than all these things. And it's great to encourage people with that, but it's easy to say that when you don't have it. But it's one thing to have achieved, according to what this world says is achievement, that this is the person that has millions and millions of followers and, and global influence and, and would probably live a life that many people aspire to. It's one thing to, to be in that place and after having accomplished all you set out to accomplish, to reflect back on what it all really meant. And the, the Jesus in me, was like, man, I just hope this person would find somebody who loves Jesus and can just show him what he's really looking for. I was like, you know what he needs? He needs the joy of Jesus. That's what he needs. You know, the church girl had a whole word for him. If I ever meet him, I'm going to tell him, you need the joy of Jesus, right? I have a word waiting on him. But, but here's what's interesting. Then the Lord challenged me. That's what the Holy Spirit would do, right, when you think you're righteous. Um, if the Holy Spirit is not countering when you think you're righteous, then you might not have the Holy Spirit. Because when I think I'm righteous, he's like, ooh, almost, but hold on. And so he said to me, so, so, but Jada, do you understand the true joy of Jesus? Do, do you really get it? I know you have a word for somebody. Like some of us come to church for somebody else. We got so many sermons for somebody else. We're like, ooh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Send her a screenshot of this. Uh, let me send him these notes. We have so many words for somebody else. But where is the word for us? And so he said, do you understand the true joy of Jesus? And more importantly, have you considered 
that maybe over the course of his life, he has met many Christians, but they could not point him to the true joy of Jesus. Do you think he's really lived his whole life never encountering a person that believes Jesus? But what did he encounter? Well, the challenge for us today and what I want to challenge you and encourage you with is that there is a truth about joy that if we say we believe in Jesus, it should be a mark of our lives. But I think what has happened is that we have believed some lies about joy so that the people we encounter and the way we live our life is inauthentic and joyless. Now, this is not the idea of how we behave but this is the inward joy that Jesus promises us. And so what I would like to do is spend a few moments in Luke chapter 2 for the most part so that we can see what the truth really is. We want to learn the truth about joy this morning. And there's no better story than the story of the birth of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, first few verses, starts off, it says, Now in those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Y'all say decree. This is super important. From Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's next week's test word, Quirinius. So, and and this, and I'm going to say this real quick because it's not in my notes, but this is important because as you read through the gospels and you understand everybody's writing style, Luke was a very detailed writer. So he didn't put nothing in here as frivolous. You know, Mark tells his whole encounter of Jesus in like 16, 17 chapters. Luke, everything is long. But this is important because you have moments where Luke will insert history so that you understand that what he's about to tell you, although divine, is also historical. That you can go to your history book and look up when Quirinius was governor and validate that a census was taken and that Caesar Augustus made a decree. And so what happened with the birth of Jesus is not made up, but it's actually validated in the books of history. So Luke gives us these little snippets that we don't want to, we're not going to live in today, but I just want you to know he's thoughtful in how he presents this. Now in verse 3, he says, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, y'all say, while they were there. The days were completed, say completed, online too, completed, you have to type a lot, while they were there, completed, for her to give birth. In verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, in those first seven verses, there's a million and one sermons that you can teach on. But what I want to point out today as we talk about the truth about joy There's a broader picture before you get into the details of what Luke is going to describe. And that is the idea that a decree has gone out from Caesar Augustus. Now, this decree is important because it is an order given by the man that was in power. Now, Caesar didn't have just any kind of power. Caesar was considered a deity. As a matter of fact, in in 42 BC, the Senate, the Roman Senate, declared him a god. They said that Caesar was a god and that his son, that he had later, his adopted son actually, was called the son of God. They even had coins issued and the inscription said, divine Caesar and son of God. So you're talking about not just the president or the governor. 
This is not just a person with a little bit of power. This man would have been considered the most powerful man in the world, so much so that he was considered a deity. So he issues a decree. And this might seem like a side note, but but it's important because under the umbrella of this decree, you're going to see God's plan unfold. Now, the decree, this order, this decision, it's it's a thing that represents the idea that some power outside of ourselves, some power that this earth considers to be great, so much so it even calls him a god, but a power, a decision has been made that we have no control of. But under the umbrella of that decision, God's plan is about to unfold. So here's the first thing you need to know about joy. The truth about joy is that man's power can never deter God's plan. Man's power can never deter God's plan. As a matter of fact, God uses the perceived power of man as a tool in his plan. And so I don't know if today you have a a literal or a figurative Caesar in your life. Maybe there's a boss that's making decisions that you can't control or or maybe something in your life is beyond your control and, and there's an order, there's a direction that you know you need to follow. Don't think that that order, that decree has any impact on the plan that God is gonna unfold in your life. The truth about joy is that God's plan is never deterred by the power of man. Now, if you believe the lie about joy, you will tell yourself that in order to be joyful, that means all the things have to work out and they all have to make sense. It all has to look like some amazing, godly unfolding of his plan in my life. But the truth is, sometimes some other power that this world thinks is God is actually a tool in the hand of the real God. And that's okay. Because Romans 13 says all authority is from God. And if you don't believe that, you'll start to pick and choose the authority that you follow. And you'll say, oh, no, no. Even though God has placed this authority over me, then I don't agree. I'm going to rebel. This doesn't make sense because here's what God told me. So I think I'm going to help God unfold the plan that I know he's revealed to me. Now, I know this is not true for any of you in the room, but hypothetically, you know, sometimes we try to help God. But you need to understand there is no decree of man that can interfere with God's plan. Let me tell you what he told Mary in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. His name will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now Mary is thinking, I already know the promises of God. But see, that's why he chose her. That's why he said, you're favored among men. Because had he chose me and Luke chapter 2 came along and Caesar came out talking about decrees that I got to now pack up my stuff while pregnant, travel, relocate to take a census, I'd be like, but wait, God, in Luke 1, this is not what you had said. Okay, you gave me the promise that the child would be born, but you didn't tell me that I would have to be inconvenienced. You didn't tell me that I would have to relocate at the most uncomfortable time of my life. You didn't tell me that as soon as I got married, I already had to explain the pregnancy situation to Joseph. We're trying to set up house, and before I can even get set up and open my engagement, guess we got to move. Because here's the thing. God says, when I promise you something, what I say will come to pass. 
Don't worry about what I didn't say. I didn't tell you when. I didn't tell you how. I didn't tell you the day. I didn't tell you it was going to be Thursday. I didn't tell you it was going to come at the end of your fast. I didn't tell you it was going to come after you prayed. I didn't tell you it was going to come on your good day. I didn't tell you it was going to come when everything was making sense to you. But what I did say will come to pass. And there's no external circumstance that can call that into question. Because here's what he says. He says, you will conceive in your womb. His name shall be called Jesus. He will be great. He will be the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. Those are promises. So when the decree of Caesar comes in your life and it seems like this doesn't make sense, you stand on the wheels. You sell on the shell. You sent on the promises of God. Because the rebellion of the authority over your life, whether it's government, your boss, your leader, that will never help God's plan to be revealed. God works through your obedience. What if Joseph and Mary had said, wait a minute, if we're pregnant and we're about to give birth to Messiah, surely we don't have to go to the census. Surely God will find a way for us to stay here. Because what happens is when God says what he's going to do, we fill in the blanks. Oh, that means it must, it must probably going to look like this. It means it's probably going to feel this way. But if we are not submissive and humble and obedient, we won't get to see God use a man who thought he was God be used as a tool of God. The truth about joy, church is that no power of man can ever deter God's plan. Don't let anything going on in your life that you feel like you have no control over, don't let that make you call into question the joy that God has promised you. That makes joy circumstantial as opposed to rooted in the character of God. Here's the second thing. Even people of great faith can be filled with great fear. Now that is the truth about joy. Look what the scripture says, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, now in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Now, we, I want to run to the good news and the great joy because that's what Christmas is all about. But understand this, before you got to that, in verse 9, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I don't, when I read this, I was like, why would they be filled with great fear? I mean, it's the glory of the Lord, it's the angel. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, we can be afraid of the unknown. When you're tending sheep, it's not just angels, heaven's parting, rolling up on you most nights. Lights shining, the sheep scared, like what is happening? The sky has split open, the angel, the glory of the Lord shone. This is not your cell phone flashlight. This is the glory of the Lord. It probably lit up everything they saw. And the sheep were like, what, what? And the shepherds were like, what? That would fill you with fear because the unknown fills us with fear. Sometimes God allows things in our lives that we have never seen before and we're expecting him to wait, to work the way he worked the last six times and he's not doing it that way. He says you need to keep your eyes open because I don't want the unknown 
to make you afraid. But not just the unknown, the unexpected. I don't think any other night had occurred where an angel of the Lord had visited the shepherds. Because otherwise they would have been like, oh, what's up? It's you again. They were not. They were like, what's happening? And there's so many times where I, I talk to people and I know that they have plans in their lives. Like Doug said earlier, we are planners. Some of us kind of plan to the OCD details. Some of us just plan in our head. But either way, we don't want you bringing unexpected things into our lives. I know exactly how my day is going to go. I know what I want to eat. I know what I want to do for the rest of the week. So don't show up without calling, you know what I'm saying, if you're that kind of person. If you're a planner, the unexpected can bring fear. You find yourself thinking, I'm making a faith move. I'm going to change cities. I'm going to relocate. And then I get there, and the job that brought me here laid me off. Well, I'm going to make all these accommodations for this relationship because I know he the one, she the one. And then when I get so far in that I can't turn back, the relationship is over. Well, here's what you need to know, that sometimes the unknown and the unexpected is still a revelation of God. The unknown and the unexpected can still be a revelation of God because these, this was an angel of the Lord. But it was still unknown. It was still unexpected. But don't dismiss the unknown. Don't dismiss the unexpected for not being God moving. And sometimes it doesn't always feel good. Sometimes God has to move you to a place with a certain incentive. And then he takes that thing away because he wasn't going to get you there otherwise. That's okay. He loves you enough to just bring you to where you need to be, and then he'll remove the thing that got you there, and you'll think, it must be the enemy. This is disruption, and God is like, no, this is my revelation. This is how I chose to get you here. Through the unknown and the unexpected, it's still my revelation. Can I tell you, sometimes the thing you've been praying for your entire life, God answers it, but then he answers it in the way he wants to answer it. And so you've been single all these years praying and trusting God and trying to live right and stay pure-ish. And God has been gracious and he's forgiven you. He don't strike you down when you come back to church after you wasn't so pure. He's so good. And then you meet this person and it seems right and y'all get married and all of a sudden there's sickness. There's illness. There's major life change even in year one. I know people who've been married less than a year and a spouse passed away spouse had an unexpected change in their life physical illness parent died just because God answers the thing doesn't mean he's going to answer it in the way you want it but do you know that in those times of deep pain the unknown the unexpected can still be a revelation of God that he can still be moving in the place of grief he can still be moving because this truth about joy is that people full of faith can also be filled with fear And when you're in that place, you cannot beat yourself up. Because when we know enough scripture, then we're like, you know what? God hadn't given me a spirit of fear, but one of some, uh uh-huh, I know. He may not have given you a spirit of fear, but that doesn't mean you'll never experience fear. Because you are human. And when someone comes to you and they're afraid, don't judge them and say, oh, you need to walk by faith. You need to trust that the Lord is going to work it out according to his glory in Christ Jesus. And he works all things according to his good for those who love him. Miss me with that. Because when you use that truth in place of really feeling that fear, it becomes a diluted band-aid and God can't get to your heart. The truth is, 
you can be expecting great things. You can be people of faith and still be filled with fear. That's why he told Joshua, be strong and courageous because he knew there'd be times where you would not be courageous. He knew there'd be times where you would be weak. That's why Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing because he knows there's times you're going to be anxious. The lie about joy is that if I feel afraid, I can't walk in joy. The truth is that I can be a faithful person, be filled with fear, have a fearful moment, and still have joy. And you cannot tell yourself or anybody else that, they, that the absence of joy is the presence of, is the absence of fear is the presence of joy. Because it's not true. The angels knew that they were afraid, and the angels had a comfort for them. But we, we have to understand that the truth is, even people of faith can be filled with fear. But the angels bring a comfort. Verse 10, they say, fear not or do not be afraid. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the good news, y'all, that's really what it's about. But before we can rush to the good news, we have to understand that sometimes the good news is going to come under the decree of a Caesar that doesn't serve God but is being used by God. That sometimes the good news is going to come on the heels of fearfulness or being afraid. And we think, I must be far from God. But actually, God is about to unfold his plan right before your eyes. The truth about joy is that there is no perfect environment for it. The angels say, don't be afraid. Why? Not because I'm about to bless you. The angels didn't say, I'm about to double your sheep. I'm about to make you rich. I'm about to heal whoever is sick at home. They said, don't be afraid because I have good news and great joy for you. The good news, here's number three, the good news is our great joy. I mean, it should be, right? But sometimes it's only our great joy in theory. There's other news that we really want from the Lord. God, if you would just answer this, if you would just do this, if my life could look a little bit more like this. Remember that plan I gave you, God, a few years ago? When are you going to start moving that forward? Because in our core, the news of the gospel is not good enough. So our joy is on shaky ground. Because all that other news I need from God, all that other lesser news, a promotion, the blessing, all that's great. But it does not compare to the gospel. The angels are talking to some men who understood generationally what was about to happen. So just for a moment, if you get your mind of where they were, this is not just, let me show up one day and tell you Messiah is coming. They are explaining to them that all that you've heard, all that you've known, it's about to come true. These are men who understood the context. They knew Genesis 3, when we first betrayed God. And even in the moment on the hills of betrayal, God made a promise. He said, but the seed of woman is going to prevail. They knew about Noah when God got so angry that he cleansed the earth with a flood and then said, I'm not going to do that again. They knew about Abraham, the first man to walk by faith, and his wife to be, have a baby at an age that didn't even seem to make sense. They knew about the children of Israel in Egypt, coming and going, wilderness, loving God, betraying God. They knew what it meant to have to kill animals every year and sacrifice so they could have some kind of relationship to God only for a while because that expired if you had the right priest to do it. And if he wasn't right, he might die. They knew about the hundreds of laws that it took just to be clean, just to be right before God. 
They knew about the prophets that came that started to promise Jesus was coming. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea. So they are seeing all of this unfold. And just maybe they're thinking about Isaiah 53. It says, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his scourging, we are healed. Maybe they started to think that, could this be that Messiah is coming? Because when I understand what the gospel is, not just historically, but personally, that is the best news. It's my joy. And y'all, let me tell you something. That is not just church talk. That is practical. Because let me tell you what the gospel does. It gives you grace and reminds you of the grace God has given you when you're in the midst of an argument and you want to be angry. God starts to bring to your remembrance the things you've done and how you've given grace, how you've received grace. It's only because of the gospel. It reminds you to forgive before they apologize. Before they explain, if you never see them again, that they don't have to owe you anything because Christ has forgiven you so you can forgive others. You can walk in a freedom that no one else has to offer you because Jesus has already given it to you. That's the gospel in action. That is better news than God fixing the person. That's the good news. The good news is not the fixed marriage. The good news is staying in a marriage until God says otherwise and you're there faithful, loving God, knowing that the hardest thing you're experiencing, Jesus has gone beyond that. Knowing that we have a Savior that looked at those who were killing him and said, Father, forgive them. See, the gospel has to lift off these pages of Scripture. It has to leave this room. It has to become the good news. It has to be better news than the solution. Because yes, I want God to do something with my career and my dream and the business I'm starting and all these wonderful things. But the better news is that if he doesn't do any of those things, I have heaven secured. The better news is that if he doesn't mend this relationship, if he doesn't bring this healing that I know he's able to do, that while I was in my trespasses, headed for hell, deserving death, worthy of his wrath that for some reason he said you I will die a horrific death so you can have a life there is always better news I'm not saying that life is not hard because when life is hard you may not be happy but you can have joy this joy that they're talking about this is not energy it's not personality it's not annoying it's not the people that's always blessed and highly favored. Because you're like, really? Every day you favored? I mean, I know you are in your head, but is that how you feel it? Because we learn enough when we fake it till we make it. We need to say the right scripture and look the right way because that's what it means to have joy. And we're telling the world that you can't be afraid and have hard days and be dealing with confusing things and still have joy. Because what the angels promised wasn't anything that the shepherds could see. It's who they would be. It's inner gladness. That word actually means a calm delight. Can I tell you something? I have a little one. And last night, when I tell you she was having the meltdown of meltdowns, because she is strong-willed and she is all the things, and praise the Lord, one day it's going to all work out in her favor. But on today, 
We have to help her understand who, who is leading the home. But you know what? There's some things in me that want to rear up and parent a certain way and assert my authority. And you're not going to, and this is how, and you're not going to talk to me. And I am the authority in her life. But there is a way I can do that that gives me a calm delight. It's one thing to, to look at her and be like, how dare you talk to me that way? Right, because now I have to elevate myself over her so she understands who's in charge. And that can lead to all kind of poor choices when it comes to our discipline. Is another thing to say, I love you the way you are. In the midst of your screaming and crying, I have calm delight. I'm glad you're mine. I'm so grateful you're mine. Now, God, give me wisdom, guidance in this moment. How you're acting doesn't affect my joy. I'm no less happy to be your mother because you're having a tantrum. That, that is what calm delight is. That in the midst of the chaos going around you, going on, everything is crazy, and there is a logical way that in our humanity we should act, somehow we're able to see past what is only visible through the lens of the gospel, which is really the good news, and have a delight that says, God, I can deal with this differently. That don't mean you don't set boundaries and make good choices. It means you do it from a place of joy. Not from a place of anger, not from a place of frustration, not from a place of God, you owe me. But from a place of God, you've done more than enough. And you've equipped me for this moment. That is what joy looks like. Even people of faith will be filled with fear. And number three, the truth is, the good news is our great joy. Number four, praise is the expression of our true joy. Verse 20, after the angels talk to the shepherds, I'm going to read the verse 20. They go on telling the whole situation, and they tell Mary and the shepherds, in verse 20, says the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. I'm going to tell you why that's heavy. Because there's something about a response to the delight. Now, sometimes I think as believers, we, we try to create the behavior first without the delight. So I'm not even really joyful in God. That God is not really enough. There's still a lot of things I'm wanting from God, but I'm going to praise my way out of it. Praise is a response. It's not a tool of manipulation. It's not something that's supposed to convince me. I should, I should already know in my heart, in my head, this is true about God. And when I don't feel like doing it, yes, my expression may come out. But it can't be something that I'm trying to conjure up or try to act out when there's no rooted belief. Because anybody can come in here and dance. Anybody can come and sing. Anybody can come and worship, which is not praise, by the way. I'm not talking about what you do next to everybody else who wants to be here. I'm talking about when you leave this place. I'm talking about when no one is looking. I'm talking about when it doesn't make sense. When the things that really should have taken you out made you angry, made you seek revenge, make you angry with God. When those things don't shake your joy, that's when you know you live you're expressing this outward truth of an inner joy. And listen, y'all, the world needs to see that. They need to know that joy is not just happiness. Joy is delight regardless of what happens. Joy is not just when I close on the house. It's not just when everything works out. 
Joy is in Jesus because if he is the good news, there is no news I can get on earth that is greater than that. Everything else I get is gravy. Anything he decides not to do is fine because I still have Jesus. But is he really enough? Because if he is, praise is going to be that outward expression. And we actually see that in the life of Simeon. If you look at verse 22, it says, And when the days for their purification, according to the law, were completed, Moses, uh, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves to, or two, oh look, y'all see Christmas carols, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at this. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, circumcision and all the customs, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. That joy that really believes that Jesus is the greatest news was so heavy on Simeon. He was like, you can take my life. Your servant is ready to leave this place because my eyes have seen the joy. And can I tell you what's fascinating about this joy? The angel said, don't be afraid because unto you this day is born. Y'all say born. Do you know that sometimes the joy of the Lord is not because he's showing you the end of the thing. It's he's showing you the beginning of the thing. Because he was born. They didn't even know how everything else was going to play out, but they saw the glimpse of what God was going to do, and that was enough for them to have joy. Some of us are waiting for God to get us to the finish line so we can go through our goals and say what we need to accomplish, and you know what's going to happen? As soon as he gives you that thing, you're going to check it off, and you're going to go to the next thing. Because someone, please tell me, the last time God said yes, and God did whatever it was, have you asked for anything since? Yes. You moved on to the next thing. Thank you, God. You're, you're high. You're great and mighty. I'm going to tell you your good works. Uh, number 26. Let's keep moving through this list. I got things to do in this lifetime, God. You see my list. The joy for him was so great. He said, like, you can take me, God. When, when, when you know that the good news of what Jesus has done, that he has transformed you, declared you righteous, made you a new creation, adopted you, given you peace, given you life, rescued you from the jaws of death, given you victory, made you an inheritor, seated you in heavenly places, made you a citizen of heaven. When you know all these things, any other yes that's on this earth, it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison. The inner joy of Jesus says, God, whatever you say, because really Jesus is enough. The fact that I have the gospel is enough. And praise is that outward expression. Now, how do we stay full? Because y'all, let me tell you something. Hard times are going to come. Hard times are here now. I mean, we sitting, Christmas isn't always merry. Sometimes we're faking our way through that. 
You're just trying to get through the holiday. Oh, for the kids or for the people or for whatever. You're just buying stuff and doing stuff and cooking stuff and then throwing away food in four days. It's just like you go through this motion of trying to conjure up the things that should make us happy. And here's why. Because our joy gets drained. The truth about joy is that satisfaction in Jesus is the way we stay full of joy. Now, I'm going to depart from from Luke chapter 2 for a minute. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And here's verse 11, John 15, because I know y'all writing all these down. You can't wait to read these later on. John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You know why? Because Jesus knows that your joy is not going to always be full. He's like, I offer you joy, but you have to stay full of joy. See, things are going to come in life, and as soon as I try to find hope and comfort, consolation, satisfaction, success, acceptance, validation in those things, it's going to drain my joy. He's saying to the degree that you are most satisfied in me, to that degree, your joy will be most full. And sometimes joy is the knowing that Jesus is still with you and will be with you on the other side of the thing. It gets us through impossible situations. Hebrews tells us that if we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the shame, despised the cross, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Because the the joy before you, yes, Jesus, you are enough. So the affliction and the shame and the betrayal, I can get through it. I don't have to fake my way through it. I can have delight in my soul even when my life is hard. I can have calm gladness at the core of who I am in the middle of chaos Please note that joy in the scripture is never tied to a change in circumstances, ever. And there's nothing wrong with God changing circumstances because he does it. He, He does things like that because he's good, but not because that's necessary. Your joy is found only in Jesus. And to the degree that I am satisfied in him, to that degree, I can have full joy. Because things are going to, look, it takes one text message sometimes. Just take your joy from boop to boop. You're like, oh, Jesus, block. My God. You got to put your phone down sometimes. People trying to, just trying to take your joy. Having conversations. Somebody says the wrong thing or you hear about something. Something raised up in your spirit because your flesh ain't, you know, it's not the way right. We're not going to be right till heaven. And something happens and you're just like, whoo, trying to take my, you know what? Let me go, let me go talk to Jesus. Because he's all I need. He's greater than your, you having the right attitude. That might not ever happen. He's greater than you knowing how to say it to me the right way. That might not ever happen. He's greater than us agreeing as, as spouses on how we spend our finances or how we raise our kids. He's greater than me and my friends getting along and resolving that conflict. He's greater than all of our frustrations. And so if he fixes these earthly things, great. But if he does not, Jesus is my good news. He's my good news. 
That means I want to lean into him. I want to be concerned about the things that concern Jesus. I want him to be the recipient of my deepest affection, my greatest devotion, the thing I'm thinking about. Y'all, there's no joy like what Jesus gives. And, And it's only sometimes in our really hard moments where you realize how often and how frequent the people and the things of this earth will fail you. Oh, my gosh. And it's one thing to see failure coming and know somebody's trifling or to know a situation is rough. But it's different when it's someone you didn't expect. It's different when it's a situation that you thought seemed to be worked out and all of a sudden a surprise came on the scene. So many times we get caught off guard, but God isn't. He's not caught off guard. He's like, oh, I saw that coming. You just don't. You didn't know them. I already saw that coming. Oh, I saw that situation coming. But it don't matter. Because even when it comes to you as a surprise, my joy is stable. It doesn't change. And so my encouragement, my prayer for you today is that the things that are creating anger or frustration or disappointment or whatever it is that's disrupting you, that you would ask God to begin to shift what you're satisfied in. Because God, if I'm most satisfied in my family, then the way they act is going to determine my joy. If I'm most satisfied in knocking off these 20 pounds in 2022, when I gain 25, it might affect my joy. If I'm most satisfied in paying off this and acquiring (laughs) this and trying this, if that's where I find my greatest satisfaction, when it doesn't happen, it's going to affect my joy. Jesus says, if you're most satisfied in me because I don't change, because I'm perfect yesterday, today, and forever, because I never fail, because I never disappoint, because I'm always there. Also know what you're going through, been betrayed, been abandoned, been rejected, understand sorrow, a man acquainted with grief, but still somehow found joy because God was my joy source. He says, if you find it in me and you stay most satisfied in me, your joy will be proportionate to your satisfaction in me because I'm the thing that doesn't change. I'm the thing that doesn't change. You can get, when people are arguing and acting crazy and they say something to hurt your feelings, you get that crazy person smile. Mm. Okay, well, I'm sorry. You, I'm so sorry. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Just joy. But go ahead. What's your point? It don't even bother you. When things start going sideways, when it doesn't work out, God is like, but I am the one that doesn't change. Stay full of me and you will have full joy. Y'all, I finally did some cleaning. I'm going to close with this because I cracked myself up with this. But, you know, God is good. He'll show you an illustration. So I did some cleaning, and I was in my nightstand drawer. That's deep cleaning when you're in your nightstand drawer. And so I was trying to, I'm trying to get my life together before 2022. And I found this pouch. Now, this may seem like just a little cute gold pouch, but let me tell you what's in this pouch. I opened up this pouch. Y'all know what this is? Gift cards. Y'all see these gift cards? Listen, it's a steakhouse. I'm trying to be plant-based, but, you know, that's, that's a blessing. All kinds of things in here. Starbucks, I don't drink coffee. They got tea, cake balls. I'm going to find something. Chick-fil-A. If you, chick, this C and Chick-fil-A stand for children. If you have children, you live at Chick-fil-A. Uh, movie passes. I had some gift cards. Some of them are not in here because I found some Target gift cards. You know those were spent immediately. And so, uh, <laughs> because the Lord dwells at Target. And so, <laughs> I went to Target, and I was like, speak, Lord. He was like, aisle 20. Oh, right there. I just <laughs> went right on the target and blessed myself. 
So some of them not in there. But y'all, some of them were, were fairly recent because I'm, I'm not good about keeping up with them. I need to be better at that. Some of them were so old, they were from my son's baby shower. I'm talking about nine years old. Some of these stores closed. I was so mad. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This store is out of business. Some of them I had to call and be like, do I still have a balance on this? And praise the Lord for the cards that keep a balance for infinity. And they were like, what's that number? We don't have that in our system. I was like, go call somebody because if it's some money on here, I'm coming in. And so I was like, I got to try to keep up with these. So what I have to do now is keep my little gold pouch and I take it with me and I try to keep it in the car because when I'm running around and doing stuff quickly, I have to try to look through there and see if it's something because I have to remember to do it because otherwise my tendency is going to be to go to my same old stores and maybe not try some of the places that's with the gift cards or when I get to the place, pull out my wallet and use my resources and do it the way I've always been doing it when there's something that's already been paid in advance for me waiting to be claimed. So I don't know where you are today, but can I tell you something about the joy of Jesus? It's already been paid for. It doesn't ever expire. He will never close and go out of business. But you have to remember that when it's time to pay up, you don't use your own resources. You remember the gift. You remember the joy. And you use what Jesus has already paid for you. His resources will never run out. It's accepted at any place. And it will always keep you full, satisfied, completely covered. Because the good news is our great joy. That's all you need. And for some of you, that gift card, that joy is sitting somewhere in a drawer before you've thought about it. You have lost it. It's in the closet, in the drawer. You had not thought about it. Jesus has done it whether you claim it or not. So you have to go and do the work. You have to go and reclaim what Jesus offers us. You don't have to conjure it up. You just need to claim it. And you need to keep it with you. Because when it's time to pay for something, you can say this is already paid for. I don't have to figure out how to make myself happy in this moment. It's already paid for. I don't have to figure out some word of encouragement. I don't need to scroll through somebody else's inspiration. It's already paid for. I don't have to wonder if I'm only going to be happy when Jesus fixes the thing. It's already paid for. There is a joy that we have been lying about. Telling ourselves that the situation has to be right and we can't be afraid and it's going to always make sense. And it'll never be the unknown, the unexpected. But there's other news greater than the good news. And I'm saying if you really want the joy of Jesus, if you really want the joy, all you have to do is lay claim to it. All you have to do is claim what he has already purchased for you. That is the joy that changes our lives. That is the joy that shows the world that Jesus really is the best news. And so I don't know where you are today if maybe you're really just realizing this because this joy is for believers, for those who are surrendered to Christ Jesus. And I know that's not everybody. This joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This joy comes because I've made Jesus Savior and Lord of my life. If that's where you are, you need that. There'll be people praying, ready to pray with you after service so you can choose Jesus as Savior. You have to start there. Don't try to conjure up joy without Jesus. And he's not your sidekick and your friend. He's Lord. When, when that happens, then the gift is yours. Then the Holy Spirit can keep you full of it. 
but maybe you already know Jesus and you've just forgotten. It's just tucked away somewhere. And it's been so much hurt and so much pain and so much confusion, so much disappointment and doubt that you have forgotten that there is a joy that's not attached to this life, that there is something greater. If that's where you are, I want to pray for you too, that God would just bring back to your remembrance the joy that is already yours. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your joy, God. I thank you for the inner gladness, the, the calm delight that the birth of Jesus has given us in a way that we'll never be able to comprehend. We can only be grateful for it. And for those, God, in this space or watching online who need to know you as Savior, God, would you stir their hearts? Would you invite them to relationship with you first? Whether they stay in their seats or come forward after service or say they want next steps online, God, would you stir their hearts? Would you grow your family in this moment? And for those of us, God, who are already at your table, already in your family, but maybe we have lost sight. Maybe we've attached our joy to things that can change or to things that are temporary or to things that fail. Would you help us to detach and, and reattach our joy to Jesus alone? Would you help us to realign what we're satisfied in? God, we need you because it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy for our dreams and our goals and our aspirations and our wants to be the source of our joy. But God, we want it to only be Jesus. We thank you for this message, this birth of your son that not only changed that moment, changed history, changed eternity. We thank you for Jesus, in your son's name.